By way of opening uh, illustration, uh, I know this has probably happened to you at some point. It's a little bit embarrassing, but where you've been eating some food and perhaps you get a little bit of that food like on your cheek or in your teeth, and you are unaware of this until at some point you get in the vehicle or go to the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you're like, well, how long has that been there, right? And then you start thinking like of the people that you've been around that didn't say anything. Uh, and you're like, do you even love me? Like that's a genuine question I'd have. See, because Proverbs 27 uh, verse 6, and I think we've got this on, on a slide. Proverbs 27 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Like a friend is going to wound you. And it might be a little embarrassing. Like, hey, you got a little something there or uh, be it cream cheese or be a little sin in your life, but you can trust that person. The person that, you know, kisses your butt and doesn't say anything, that's an enemy. This happened to me in a really extreme example, okay, just to belabor this point. Uh, I was working, uh, setting up sound for a church plant that we are doing, back the trailer up, we start unloading sound at 6 a.m., and for the next hour, we're setting stuff up. I'm working along guys that I would consider to be close friends, and we're just laboring there together, setting stuff up, interacting all morning long. And later in the morning, another guy shows up and like we've been at this for an hour. First thing he says to me is like, dude, what is on your face? And I'm thinking, I, I don't know. I go to the bathroom and I look and on my face, underneath my eye is a tick that is feasting like on me and like just get, like tick on a dog you ever seen like it's just filling up it's just having a meal it's been there all morning long I go I remove the tick and I go back in and I start laying into everybody else I'm like are you kidding me like I had something sucking blood from my face and nobody said anything like I really question like your love for me and and the reason I go with this illustration is Paul's actually a real friend <laughs> To the Galatians, he's like, y'all got a little bit of cream cheese, not just here, here, but like it's all over and we're about to go there. In the book uh, to the churches in Galatia is Paul unashamedly loving them. And it might perhaps read a little bit harsh and direct, but I'm telling you, as we see from Proverbs, that's actually a true friend. That's actually somebody that loves deeply. And so we're going to see throughout the study of this book all semester long, 11 weeks in the book of Galatians, we're going to see Paul confronting the wrong and showing them what is right. So Galatians uh, chapter 1 verse 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. So let's first look at the author of the book we're going to be in all uh, semester. The author is who? Paul. Paul. Thank you, Paul, for just writing clearly. This is who it's from. It's Paul. And he refers to himself as an apostle. Now, this is a role that he was given by the Lord directly. The Lord called him on the road to Damascus. His name used to be Saul. He was going to go persecute Christians. He was going to walk 300 miles on foot from Jerusalem to the city. He was really zealously against 
Christianity until he met Jesus. And then Jesus said, I'm not only saving you, you're actually going to be an apostle that you're going to go to all those that are non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles, and uh, you're going to declare my message to them. So this is God's man, and he's carrying God's message. And he even says, he's like, I'm not appointed by man, but through Jesus Christ that he received this apostleship. And he's writing to the churches in Galatia. So we've got a map. The churches in Galatia, this is the region. Uh, Cole, you got that map? There we go. Wow, look at that. High quality image right from Google. Uh, So if you can kind of make it out, green is this region of Galatia. These would have been some of the the towns located in Acts chapter 13 and 14. You have uh, Lystra's there. I think Derby's one of them. Uh, Iconium, uh, like those are the the region of Galatia. You have Asia, you have Ephesus, it's kind of over there. In the bottom right corner, you would have Jerusalem. And so Paul, on his missionary journeys, if he wasn't shooting out by boat, he would be going across on land and he would be going through these areas. And I think on the three missionary journeys that he takes, he's going through Galatia and proclaiming uh, the message of Jesus. And so Galatia would have been this region. It's not a town. It's kind of like saying, like, we're Iowans, like Galatians. So Galatia is the region, uh, and, and in there would have been these towns, um, uh, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, Poseidon, uh, Antioch. Uh, those would have been uh, places there, uh, and we see them. So in Acts 13 and 14, tells some of the account of Paul going there after he's saved. Really cool, in Acts chapter 14, just to give you a context of these non-Jewish kind of Roman people that would have been there, it, it, uh, he goes into town, there's somebody that's crippled, a man's crippled uh, from birth, and Paul and Barnabas pray for the guy and he's healed. Instantly stands up and everybody in town all of a sudden freak out and they're worshiping like these, these Greek gods and like, holy cow, it's Zeus and it's Hermes. And, and they just freak out and they start like bringing sacrifices and they're like trying to worship these guys. And they're like, no, like we're just men. Like God brought about this healing. All in the same chapter, they stop these guys from sacrificing to them. And then some Jews come into town and be like, yeah, they're really not gods like they told you. In fact, they're really bad. And in that same seemingly day, they went from wanting to sacrifice to them as gods to picking up stones and stoning Paul to the point where they thought he was dead. Then Paul, they drag him out there thinking he's dead, go back in the city. Paul comes to, gets back up and goes back into town and starts preaching the gospel again. And then he goes on, okay? This is the, I say that, this is the kind of people, this would have been the guy that helped plant the church there, and this would have been the first experience when they weren't trying to kill him. Uh, He would have been the one that kind of was bringing them this message. And so that's the author and the audience. Now, what's the message? Well, let's look at our, uh, here in, in, in verse three. He says to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, 
according to the will of God and uh, the God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the simple, clear, concise gospel message. And so what he says in verse 3 is the God of our Father uh, and our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say in verse 4? He says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. What he's saying is, Jesus has delivered us. We're here, and you've seen this illustration before, in our sin, fallen. And because of that, there's a distance between us. This is way too big. I was going to use the board for something else tonight. Uh, It'll erase. Okay. What he's saying is there's a distance that our sin, sin being things that we've done against the Lord, be it lying, stealing, dishonoring our parents, Lord's name in vain, thinking evil thoughts, all this, because we've fallen, there's distance. But he says that Jesus gave himself up for us to deliver us for our sins. So instead of the distance that our sins create, instead of eternal separation in hell, Jesus gave himself up. He was perfect, a perfect 10 out of 10. And because of what he's done, it's through him that we can be restored to God. This simple, unadulterated gospel, simply put. And so he's like, praise Jesus, who's delivered us from our sins. The end, period. So that was the message that was preached to them. And they joyfully trusted Jesus, experienced forgiveness. I don't know how to illustrate that. So now they're over here, united with the Lord. They're adopted uh, children of God. Whoop, this is like a little, whoop, they're adopted. That's like their little label on them, okay? So they're adopted children of God. They have a relationship because they've accepted Jesus This illustration is getting way out of hand. I can keep going. Uh, They accepted Jesus. Now they're happy and have this joy. Uh, Their hair grew back. No, that's not true. Uh, But uh, so this is what they have because of Jesus Christ delivering them from their sins. So they're no longer in and of the world and separated from God. But because of Jesus, they're united with the Lord. He's like, praise God. And so that's, the, the gospel message. Then he's going to go on, though, and say, uh, but since I've left, <laughs> y'all have perverted that. You've diverted from the simple gospel message that we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And he says in verse 6, watch how quick this turns from verse 5 to verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there is some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. In verse 9, as we have said before, and so now say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel 
contrary to the one you receive. Let him be accursed. He says it two times. They're deserting the gospel that was clearly declared in verses 3, 4, and 5 for what? And he says a different gospel. Not that there is some other good news that exists out here, uh, but, but you're deserting it for a different gospel. That's revealed later on in the book, and we're not going to get too exhaustive in that, but, but essentially what the different gospel was is that, uh, that they were saying, yeah, you need to accept Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised, okay? That's just exactly what you think it is. Circumcision was this covenant that was given to the people of God in the Old Testament where they would remove the extra skin from the end of the penis. That's just, we're gonna call it what it is. They would remove that extra skin. It was a sign given to Abraham. And so all the male children, I believe it's on the eighth day, would be circumcised uh, into, uh, and it would be symbolic of that they're a part of the family of God. Here's the thing about that sign. One, nobody else is gonna take that. <laughs> no one else is gonna, you know what we should do? We should, we, no, like this is unique to God's people. Like, so certainly like they got a corner market on it and I don't know like who's checking, but, but, but what they're saying is like, uh, to these primary Gentile people, they were not Jews. They, they weren't circumcised. And so what happened is likely after Paul left, somebody came in and said, oh, you've accepted Jesus? That's great. But have you also, like, so you have Jesus, but did you also get circumcised? Like, have you done done that because, and again, I, I'm, I don't know how this message would have sounded, but it was probably something like, unless you do what God gave in the Old Testament as well, so Jesus plus circumcision, so unless, you can't just have Jesus, you actually need to cut the extra skin off the end of your penis if you really want to be accepted and be made right with God. Even saying it, it sounds ridiculous, right? But I imagine like there was something where even if it's like, well, not Jesus plus, but like you would hate, you know, that that sign, like if it was important to God that you wouldn't be doing it, right? And so in doing so, they abandoned simply accepting Jesus. And so now they had a Jesus plus blank sort of understanding in gospel. And they're thinking, why well, didn't desert Jesus? I just added something to it. What's wrong with that? Well, let me illustrate. Let's say there's a married man. And he said, I love my wife. I'm committed to my wife. I love her. I'm not going to leave her. I'm just inviting another woman into the relationship to share the marriage bed with us. My wife plus her. You understand how plus something is like, that's, no, like that's, perversion that is detestable that would be so wrong there isn't like a close enough what marriage is supposed to look like Jesus plus anything claims that it's no longer salvation in Jesus alone but it's Jesus plus some work something you've got to do Jesus plus something else and it takes away from the finished work of Jesus does that make sense because scripture would say that no, it's by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we're saved. 
Ephesians 2, 8, 9, or it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works so that anybody can boast. Romans 3, 28, this will be on the slide. For we hold that one is justified, that is made right, justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. However, you're right in saying that genuine faith is never alone. That anybody, having been uh, no longer in sin, who's adopted by the Lord, Ephesians 2.10 would go on to say, but we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us. So the works ought to be accompanied a Christian lifestyle is like, you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know that they're saved because out of the overflow of forgiveness, they're going to get to work. God has given them gifts and so they're going to use their gifts. But works don't save them. They're just evidence of our salvation. Does that make sense? And so they, they don't save. So they're over here. So, But sometimes people confuse that and they're like, well, it's Jesus plus these works that equal salvation. Let's not confuse that. And you're saying, well, does that really happen? Absolutely, that happens. In their day, it was Jesus plus circumcision. But in our day, it manifests itself in other ways. Uh, I would say it like this. I was in Missouri, uh, lead pastor there for a number of years, just down the road from us. Uh, uh, there was a denominational Christian school, uh, and I'll leave out the denomination uh, but they would preach Jesus, but they would say that you are not genuinely saved until you get baptized. And so they would say, Jesus, you have to accept Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you have to evidence that through believer's baptism. And until you get in the water, you're not actually saved. So they would say Jesus plus baptism is how we know someone's saved. I'm not picking, I'm just straight, saying straight up, assemblies of God. Most of their churches and their doctrine would say, Jesus plus speaking in tongues is how we know that you're actually saved. Unless you manifest that gift of the Spirit, then we don't know if the Holy Spirit's actually in you. So Jesus plus speaking in tongues. In their day, it was Jesus plus circumcision. Even in our evangelical camp, I would say that we have something like this. We would say, Jesus, yes, Jesus is how we're saved, but the sinner's prayer. You go to summer camp, you repeat after me, rewrite the date in the Bible, and it doesn't matter if you live like a heathen, mom and dad rest easy because you pray to prayer. Is our hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ or is our hope in a prayer? Does that make sense? Jesus saves. <laughs> Trusting in the cross, that's salvation. And I will grant you that oftentimes that manifests itself through prayer, through asking the Lord to forgive you. But our hope can never be in a prayer. Our hope is in Jesus and the prayer just manifests where our hope is at. And they're so close. But yet you get those off and you got a Jesus plus gospel. And he would say two times in this text, end of verse 8 and end of verse 9, 
let him be accursed. That is like, I think in the, the, the Greek word the, is anathema. Like it's, uh, man, I am so all over in my notes. Uh, let me find this. Oh, wow, I skipped a whole section. We're going to come back to that. But uh, <laughs> anathema, this is strong language. A curse would be this, a solemn utterance intended to evoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. So if you're going to curse it, this anathema, it would be like saying, or think of this like this, like this is stronger language that will help you understand what he's saying. Let them be damned by God. Like this damnation, this judgment, this punishment, damned to hell. Does that make sense? Like it's a curse. So what he's saying is if somebody is going to preach a false gospel, a Jesus plus, he's saying, God, damn them. Now again, careful, because we hear that phrase slung around all over, right? But the original kind of genesis of it would be Paul saying, if you're, I'm so passionate about a not Jesus plus thing, if somebody's going Jesus plus, may God damn them. May they be punished. Because in the same way that if you were jealous for my marriage, you would say, no, you're not bringing another woman into that. Heck no. You're not taking away from the finished work of Jesus. And that's what's happening. And he tells them, this is part of that skip, he said, listen, if I change the message (laughs) and you hear me say something else or somebody else, or you believe an angel declares something else, a Jesus plus gospel, he's saying, no, (laughs) like that's not the case. Which ironically, again, call a spade a spade. This is one of the largest religions that exists, Mormonism. This would be the foundation of what they'd say. An angel appeared to Joseph Smith and proclaimed to him a more full gospel a Jesus plus gospel. And it's like, <laughs> have you never read Galatians? <laughs> like He's like, even if an angel, God damn them if they're saying something Jesus plus. And so again, I think that passion and that fervor is not to be just crass and you know, curse at something, but he's saying it's a big deal when you add the plus because you're saying that God sending his son who lived a perfect life who died on the cross for the punishment of our sins was buried, resurrected, defeating death, came, appeared to the 500, resurrected into heaven and his promise that he's coming back again, king of kings, lord of lords to make all things new, He's insufficient. When he said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, no one gets to the Father except through me, he forgot to put a plus after that. And no one gets to the Father except through me, plus circumcision. Sorry, did I forget to mention that? Plus the sinner's prayer, plus. No, to add the plus declares Jesus and what he accomplished is insufficient. And that would be contrary to to the clearly proclaimed gospel throughout all of Scripture. And so when we encounter a Jesus plus theology like Paul, 
we ought to get a little bit worked up. We should have a righteous anger. I mean, when you see those that are deceived going door to door, fervently proclaiming something that actually leads to eternal damnation, separation from God, you should have a righteous zeal in your heart. Because close is not close at all, right? It's actually the furthest thing. In, in, um, and I would just want to challenge us as the Galatians to watch out for those things because that's the thing. That's how you get that in. And I remember, this is totally off script, but I remember as a young college student seeing some Mormon missionaries down the street. And in ignorance, I rolled down the window as I drove by and I said, hey, when you're done at that house, come to mine. It's at the end of the street. I invited those two missionaries. We sat on the back porch. And I am telling you, I got worked over. Not knowing my Bible, these dudes were trained. They had me flipping and jumping. And I'm like, I don't It sounds close. I mean, you know the best way to tell the truth? Tell something that's like 99% similar. And then slide the lion on the back end. Man, you got to discern a little bit. Remember like, okay, <laughs> I need to read my Bible this week. Tell you what, the next week when they came back, I was ready. But, but initially, again, just watching out for those lies. And I think we let it creep in, at least from my kind of church background, is, is I start getting a works-based righteousness. Like, not thinking that maybe works saved me, but, but that somehow, like if I don't read my Bible and I, and I miss something, that, that God somehow loves me less. And I forget to look at the sufficient work of Jesus. Does God want us to walk in obedience? Yeah, he's going to tell them. He's going to be pretty clear of what God, like if we're truly with the Lord, what a life with God should look like. God's not opposed uh, to works, but he is opposed to thinking like those works earn our salvation. Does that make sense? So God's not opposed to us working hard, but he is opposed to thinking that those works make us right with the Lord. Paul comes out strongly, and he is being now accused, we see in verse 10, uh, by this circumcision group, that Paul, if you're saying it's just through Jesus, it's too easy. Like, you're making it too easy. Paul's rebuttal is in verse 10. Really? <laughs> easy? Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I am still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul saying, just Jesus is easy? Then why do I have these scars on my back for the simplicity of this message? Why these chains? Why am I going to be hauled off to Rome and stay in trial? Like, you would think that proclaiming Jesus, you know, is easy. But he's saying, I'm clearly not winning the approval of man just by proclaiming that truth. By the way, you are the ones that threw rocks at my head, okay? Like, while it is that simple, it is not that simple, nor does it often win the approval of man as we proclaim such a simple message. I think it's foolishness, and I think it's honestly frustrating 
And it begins to expose the pride in our heart when it's just a Jesus alone gospel, which is the true gospel. Let me go off script again on, on this illustration. I remember being a young married man. Uh, my wife and I got married. She was a few years older than me when we got married. I was going to say her age, and I don't know if she'd appreciate that. She was 28. I was 24 when we met. Uh, and then 29, 25 when we got married. We met in February and got married in November. That's nine months, okay? Quick work, yeah. Uh, six months dating, three months engagement, and then married with 600 of our closest friends at the wedding. It was epic. It was awesome. Uh, my wife, if you haven't met her, uh, she is an intimidating woman. Not only, like She's a collegiate athlete. She stands just shy of six foot. Uh, she scored a 35 on her ACTs out of 36. So she got a full ride to law school. Uh, she, she's just brilliant, which made her a pain in the butt to be married to our first year because she won all the arguments. We fought hard because I'm stubborn. I'm not smart, but I'm stubborn. Uh, and so like we just all out fights. But I just remember this one time in particular where it wasn't even a fight. I had clearly wronged my wife um, I even now, I just like it just hurt her uh, through that in wronging her, and I just remember like being so broken by hurting her and wanting to make that right. Uh, and she just looked at me and she's like, "I love you, and I forgive you." And that was so painful to hear. I genuinely remember this. I was like, "Can you please punch me? Like, just punch me? Like, I." Your forgiveness is great, but I like want to, like that's, I don't like that. Like I don't, I don't like being the like recipient of such mercy and grace. Like I want to do something. Like I want to feel the pain. I want like, and I'm just saying, I think that's why we want to add to the finished work of Jesus. Like it's, oh, that it takes so much humility to just accept that forgiveness. And can I do something? Man, it, it, I get that heart, but I would say, guys, to try and do something takes away from the gift, the sufficient gift of Jesus. Humble ourselves, freely accept that, and add nothing to that. And be on guard that because of our human nature of wanting to try and earn things and wanting to prove worth, we're going to have a temptation to add to it, like the Galatians. But don't. Faith alone, in Christ alone. For those, so in terms of application, say one, be on guard. Be on guard against false gospel and be the kind of person that looks at the cream cheese on people's face and be like, don't you think, like we can talk about baptism, you know, but don't you think that baptism is going to save you? Jesus saved you. So be on guard. Two, I would say look at your own life and is there anything that's creeping in that's a Jesus plus? So be on guard against the false gospel, but are there ways that you're believing false truths? That somehow you think your performance affects like God's approval of you? 
And if God's adopted you into the family through Jesus, his righteousness is credited to us. And so don't think that somehow our behavior affects the unconditional love of God. Is your behavior important? Yes. Does it affect the love of God? Absolutely not. God loves unconditionally. And so are there ways where you're starting to creep in and say, well, Jesus plus. And then lastly, I would say, because of this, point three, in terms of application, since it's Christ alone, would we not become uh, calloused to the joy that that truth ought to bring? Would we humbly, as a young married meet, just accept the forgiveness that Christ has to offer? And could we just stand in awe of that, in appreciation, and let that flood over us and just cause us to overflow and love others unconditionally, love like Christ has loved us through that forgiveness. And so would we sit in awe of the gospel? I'm going to bring the band up. we got a response song. Uh, but if we could, could you just bow your heads? And kind of points two and three. Standing in awe of the gospel, have you, like the Galatians, perhaps gotten a calloused heart? Could you just right now say, Lord, would you soften me up to that first love? Would you help me appreciate what I have in you? And even now, would you just pray, Holy Spirit, if there's ways that I'm adding to this and I'm putting my identity in Jesus plus something else, would you reveal that? And so God, we do invite you by right now that, that by uh, your spirit, you would bring about a right conviction so that we could repent of those things and just come, Lord, and solely bow to you and you alone in awe and just gratefulness of what we have in you, Jesus. But not only for forgiveness, but we have a, a future hope that not only have you given us freedom in this life and filled us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, you are our hope in this life. We declare that, that you are our hope. We do not take stock in our circumstances. We do not get trouble. This is why we, we don't have to be anxious about anything, but it, through everything with prayer and petition, like we're going to come before you, Lord, and trust that you are our portion. 